Hey, and welcome back. It's Business of Film, episode number 20. My name's Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. This week's episode, pretty excited. We've got Sheila Andrine on the show, CEO of IndieFlix. She's going to go into how she grew and developed uh, IndieFlix, the SVOD service, into what it is today, how it's helping filmmakers, and how that service can help you monetize your films and more. So enjoy this episode. Tons of fun. Sheila, thank you for coming on the show. And if you have any questions for Business of Film, you can tweet them at us at CraftTruck. You can send it to us via email, coffee at crafttruck.com, uh, or on Facebook. And we will try and get those questions that you have answered for you here on the show. Enjoy this episode. It's Sheila, like just oh, oh Sheila, just Sheila, Sheila E, just but it's, it's an Sheila. Italian spelling of an Irish name, and I'm Chinese and Swedish, so um, you're talking to the the, uh, the mutt. That is an amazing background. <laughs> that is so cool. I I, may, I want like the actual historical like like how that all comes together. <laughs> oh, it's such a muddled story. <laughs> really? Uh, okay, maybe maybe uh, maybe another time. Well, thank you thank you for taking the time to to come on the show. I, this is um, this is awesome. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to having you know a chat with you today about everything that that you do at IndieFlix. Uh, but before we kind of dive in and start you know peeling away the layers. Can you give us just a little bit of a history on 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 your background in the business and, and how you how you came to uh, starting IndieFlix? Absolutely, uh, I actually am a filmmaker, and I was I made shorts, I produced and directed shorts and features. I went to the film festivals. I actually was a costume designer by day. I did the Wonder Years and Party of Five and Dawson's Creek and Smallville. And during my hiatus, I would make a short or a feature film, go around the festival circuit. We got standing ovations. We won awards. And then I got a couple of distribution offers from Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, and um, Artisan. And as a filmmaker, I felt very confident raising money and dealing with the unions and licensing music. But when it came to distribution, I felt that that was... Those were the heart surgeons, the brain surgeons. That's where you step back and you let the professionals take over. And it was one night I was sitting there looking through the agreements. I felt really excited and thrilled that we had distribution offers on one of our features. And in reading the agreement, I just it was like this, just a sea of red flags of all these opportunities to not make money, all of these opportunities to not pay back my film, my investors. And I started to get really panicky and I went, back to the distributors and asked questions and they said this is an excellent deal and I went to friends of mine in high places in distribution and they all said this is an incredible deal, are you kidding? You're getting a $100,000 advance blah 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 and I just thought this is a terrible deal and everyone kept saying I should be so grateful for the exposure so at the end of the day my producing partner and I sat down we made a list of all the things we wish existed in a company where filmmakers would actually make money that there was transparency that there you know there were caps on costs and there was a clear path for distribution and we started in Netflix with 36 films in 2005 we now have 4200 films shorts features documentaries and web series we're now opening it up to accepting independently produced television and we stream globally we're on Xbox and Roku, and we're now we'll be rolling out on all Sony devices, and kind of closing the deals left and right as far as creating access points for the content. We pay filmmakers for every minute watched, and Variety calls us the Netflix of independent film. 
only we stream globally and we pay filmmakers for every minute watched. I, you know, it's it's interesting because you 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 come from obviously a, a film background. You're you're serving a need that you felt was missing in 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 the business. Yet at the end of the day, what are you? You're you're a technology platform right now. You're not a distributor, or do you? Th- or I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you this question: Do you think of yourself as a distributor, or do you think of yourself as a technology platform? And I've asked this of other people who've been on the show, so I'm very interested to hear how you kind of frame frame yourself in this kind of milieu. You know, I guess we're a we are a streaming platform. We are, but you know, we went through various iterations. In 2005, we did DVD on demand. And then when streaming came about out, we started to do streaming as a pay-per-view. Then I folded DVD and streaming as a pay-per-view and just created in January of 2013 the subscription-based model based on how I, you know, I, I studied our user behavior and realized that people would go in, watch one movie, and leave. And it's like there's a whole sea of films to be watching. But the only way that they were going to watch that is to lift the bar- you know, the payment gateway up so that they could explore. And the only way to, that I could see doing that was through subscription. So it's $5 a month and $50 annual. So you're an SVOD platform mm-hmm. uh, for, for the world and independent filmmakers. Uh, you're uh, non-exclusive. Yep. Your titles are non, non-exclusive. And can, is, is there any barrier to entry for a, a filmmaker uh, to, to come onto the platform? Are you guys... Uh, discerning or do you, sorry, let me let me ask you the, the, the question is actually: Do you curate your content? Yes, we accept about five percent of all submissions. Okay, so in that scenario, what are your? Uh, I, I mean, because it, you're 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 curating, you're talking specifically about your audience and what you think your audience wants to watch. Yeah. Uh, how do you make your decisions in terms of what your what your platform's going to have available to it. Um, you know, and we study this all the time. Uh, zombies are very popular. It's kind of the typical as far as, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of incredible good stories, but if they're sort of slow, sleepy dramas, they're harder to get uh, action on. But uh, animation is our number one uh, form of you know consumed content. Zombies, horror, chillers, sci-fi, uh, comedies are sort of always at the top. We are 60% features and 40% shorts, but it's the reverse on the viewing. It's 60, a little more than 60% uh, shorts are viewed, and then a little less than 40% is features. Why do you think that is? Is that just because just, I mean, shorts are shorter, so they're going to, or people are actually selecting shorts more often than they are features? I think a lot of it is because we're promoting shorts more than we are sh- promoting features. We promote both equally, but I mean, we we do uh, eighteen. We promote eighteen different collections or titles or filmmakers or some sort of aspect of our library uh, every month. So we we really try to keep it even of shorts and features. But I think that people have the bandwidth to watch shorts more easily. So there's. You know, it's whether you know if we say, oh, you know, the cast and crew of True Blood came together to make this incredible short film, and it's seven, you know, seventeen minutes. People will click on that over. Here's this other incredible film. It's life changing, whatever, but it's you know, ninety five minutes. And your uh, short filmmakers, just just to be clear, your short filmmakers are making money. 
on the content that's being watched. So every every single minute watched. Even amazing, if, amazing. If ten thousand people watch one minute of their movie and exit out, they're paid for ten thousand minutes. I do you have a complicated algorithm, or is it actually do do, do you have like programmers sitting in a basement? coming up with, you know, like programming all this stuff. I mean, it's, it sounds like you've got a fairly robust infrastructure there just to deal with all the bandwidth. Can I tell you it is so simple? I mean, I, I, I it's funny. I left my sophomore year. I left NYU, fell in love with the director, left and discovered movies and became, you know, got into the film business. I was actually studying to become a litigator. And I need things kind of dumbed down. Like, I need... I need everything in my life to be just repeatable, understandable from the first time I hear it. So this model is built on efficiency and just simplicity without all the middlemen and complexities and fine lines. We are able to do this because we have, you know, 95% of our library, we have worldwide rights. So we don't have a lot of issues there, even though we can geo block. Um, we are, we don't pay licensing fees. We don't pay minimum guarantees. It is straight up rev share. It is paid by the minute. Based on minutes watched, we provide the feeds on all of our IndieFlix branded devices or channels on all devices so we can see, the filmmaker can see in live time on the back end how many minutes have been watched. Eventually, they're going to be able to see how many minutes watched on each device at what time of day. Like, we're going to share all the analytics with them so they can focus their marketing. It is this, this, it's the most simple model. Now, do you, do you actually go out and... Uh, how difficult is it for you to compete for product? Are you out there competing to get, uh, are you out there, you know, trying to get specific films and shorts onto your platform? And how difficult is it for you to get the kind of content that you want on the platform? It's not difficult at all. It's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not going for the audience award-winning film from Sundance this year because I don't think that that's a smart move for the filmmaker right now. When we have a lot more subscribers, then I think it's going to make perfect sense for them to come to us, pull out enough money in the first month of an exclusive run to pay for a theatrical, and then go, you know, turn it off, go do their theatrical, turn it back on, go around. Like, I, that day is coming. We just started this in January of 13. We're growing tremendously. I think the fact that I'm a filmmaker and that I pride myself on being honest and transparent and open with the film community, especially... You know, I mean, the audience doesn't ask as much, but the filmmakers ask a lot, and I spend a lot of time sharing with them because I have this sort of philosophy that all boats rise with the tide, and the more information that everybody has, the more we can really tackle some of the challenges that we face as filmmakers and being our own gatekeepers, the inundation factor, the device factor. The You know, we need data. We need to be able to interpret that data and act on it in an affordable, efficient way. So that's... I I really talk about that a lot and focus on that and share that with filmmakers. So we, you know, we're getting more and more content. We're getting distributors signing on. We're getting wanting to bring us content to create channels for the festivals. We're dealing with all the film schools and we're dealing, you know, we're global. Um, what's really great is that short form filmmakers are coming to us. They're starting to make money. They're telling, you know, they're feature like filmmakers and they're saying, well, Jesus, I want to put my film on IndieFlix. You know, they, it's so it's it's kind of like a wildfire right now. It's, it's we're burning it up. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I, I mean the, the the model is is obviously fantastic, and I just to use a metaphor that we've heard on 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 the show before. It is sort of this, this wild west and and land grab, uh, but it's a land grab in an infinite amount of space out there. So you are yeah. competing against 
you know, uh, other players in this sector. Uh, how do you guys differentiate yourself from your competitors? What 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 makes IndieFlix uh, stand out as the platform that 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 filmmakers you know should should be should should be going to as opposed to maybe some of your competitors? Don't mean to put you on the spot, but I, no, I uh, I welcome all questions. It helps yeah. make us better. Um, we, but I do, I do, I do actually intend to put you on the spot. So there you go. Put me on the spot over and over and over. I'm good at it. Okay. Um, (laughs) The, um, we are, we're the only model that pays by the minute and we are, we're global. Most of our competitors, I'm, I'm picturing my, my, my investor deck, our competitors have, you know, we, uh, we're, we're up there as far as content and, and number of titles, we also represent web series and shorts. A lot of our competitors only do features. They're now starting opening up to shorts. Um, we stream globally. We can geo-block. We're transparent. We help market the films. We work with the filmmaker. We highlight and blog about the filmmaker. We're also working on making IndieFlix native in key countries to roll out soon. Where So if it's IndieFlix.de in Germany, you're going to see a German uh, translated site. You're going to be able to look at German programming. We'll have country managers that basically are going to be helping us program and, and get more content in all the countries. This is all such new stuff. I haven't even really spoken about it publicly. Um, uh, we're also working on getting the entire library subtitled into multiple languages so that by removing the borders on the content, it can be consumed globally and every minute watched. Filmmakers get paid. We also sell an annual license into the libraries throughout the world. We're in over 200 libraries throughout North America and about six libraries abroad. Helsinki is our third largest traffic, and those library users are able to create free accounts and build out their libraries to watch, and the filmmakers are paid for every minute. About that is that it helps small films that would have never been discovered by people who come in direct from the site who are, for instance, Netflix users, and they love Jackass and Dark Knight. Um, but they also love to go to Sundance and can't. So um, the library users are, especially here in the States, there's a lot of immigrants that love to look at their Eastern European content. And so a lot of content that wouldn't get viewed on our you know, partnering sites, or I mean, our, well, they're partners too, but our competitive sites um, are getting consumed on our site. So filmmakers are making money. That's fabulous. Um, now let's just talk about the business for a second. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, uh, it's nice to just kind of get a picture of, of, of how IndieFlix fits into sort of the greater context of the the current the the current ever shifting landscape of how filmmakers distribute their their films. Um, so let's just talk about the business from the perspective of what's wrong with the business right now. I mean, because obviously IndieFlix serves a need and fixes a need uh, that filmmakers have. But I'd love to get your opinion. I mean, we can we can, we can talk about what's right. And what's wrong? But I'd love to hear your opinion on what you feel is wrong in the distribution business right now, in the distribution landscape for filmmakers who say they've made a film, they take it to a film festival for the first time, and uh, now what? So uh, it's you know it's funny is that the distribution um, distribution's evolved so much from when IndieFlix launched. I actually don't think that it's broken so much as the mentality, the expectation of the filmmaker has to be uh, adjusted. And it's not about going, making your movie and putting it up on all platforms and making your money back in the first weekend. It's about having a longer view, a longer runway to monetize your content. 
that it can be on a... We have one film in particular about girl bullying that hasn't even been online yet, but for one promotional week, we streamed it on IndieFlix for Mother's Day. Other than that, we've been playing offline. This is a whole other piece I didn't tell you about yet. (laughs) Where they've cleared over $500,000 net to them. Um, There's... We need to be more creative about how we're doing this. The linear method of doing theatrical than DVD and online to, you know, the theatrical pumps up the ancillary markets doesn't work anymore. Um, I think we're learning that you don't even need to do a theatrical and you can make a lot of money. The problem with that is that you can't be nominated for an Academy Award. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are catching up, but I, I think that it's the most exciting time ever to be in film. I think the opportunities are endless. I think there's an enormous amount of inundation. So it's really about focusing your energy your, and having realistic expectations and managing those expectations and then being open to things evolving. The IndieFlix model, I mean, I'm a filmmaker, so I always think about this from a filmmaker's standpoint and the bandwidth of a filmmaker. The IndieFlix model is created to play in the sandbox nicely with everyone and to allow the filmmaking community to evolve in all the different opportunities to distribute where IndieFlix can always be a part of it. We are non-exclusive. We don't have terms. If you're unhappy, you can leave. If you are, you know, we've had less than 100 films leave in eight years. Why leave if you don't have to? You know, it's like, it's, um, and in fact, some people leave because they get some exclusive from a, distributor and then the distributor comes back and says flip it back on and now the money goes to us so you know it's there's all these different wonderful scenarios and we get to see trends we get to see behavior we get to our our model is so accommodating to you know the latest evolution um but distribution it's a living breathing thing now it's not a factory setting anymore and i think all corporations and companies that's that's the new norm that is Companies need to be fluid and evolving and living and breathing. It's not Henry Ford in the factory line anymore, which is what I think distribution used to be. The 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 reason behind theatrical, as you mentioned before, a lot of the time is just to create market awareness. Whether it's a loss leader, uh, just to make the public aware of your film, to drum up publicity because writers and people who are poor blogging won't necessarily cover your film unless it's going to be in theaters. You mentioned that in now it may be the case where filmmakers don't need to need to go theatrical, that they can bypass that and go straight into, into all these wonderful new methods of, 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 of distribution, be it digital or direct consumer or however else they're doing it, but excluding theatrical. That being the case, the challenge and the question that I have for you is one of market awareness. With if, if you if you peel away theatrical, what are filmmakers doing that you're seeing, and what can filmmakers do to help them on the side of market awareness? Because if nobody knows about the film and nobody knows that it's going to be on on IndieFlix or any other platform, you know you're you're stuck. It doesn't matter. So it's a my, my question to you is one about basically marketing and publicity and and how the filmmakers that you're working with right now, how are they doing it? How are they getting eyeballs onto your platform? Uh, Okay, so we have a couple different tiers of that. One is we, at the very basic level, we have an affiliate program, so we give a code to the filmmakers. We can even provide a separate code for cast and crew, each individual cast and crew member. 
as well as the film festivals we work with, the film schools, the libraries. Anybody can have a code, and then that code, if you get people to come and subscribe and they use your code, you get a $12 bounty on the annual and a $5 bounty on the monthly. So that helps drive subscription, which, of course, most people, if they come in through, if I gave you a code, Jesse, and you send it to some people to watch your movie, they're going to use that code to go in and watch your movie. So not only are you going to make the bounty, but you're also going to get the minutes. And that's one tier, one level. Uh, and then sort of on the other end, we're working with filmmakers and specific content to incorporate brands that then not only write checks but also um, take that content and expose it to their community. So now it's exposed to even bigger, eye- more eyeballs, bigger communities that are responsive. Uh, we have a co- film called Living on One Dollar, which is about extreme poverty and we worked with the Whole Foods Foundation and Living Below the Line and um, Living on One Dollar LLC or their nonprofit and just really raised a lot of awareness and monetized it on Hulu and it hit number one on iTunes and it was number one on IndieFlix. And so there's all kinds of wonderful ways, you know, with this flexibility in the own, when you own your rights, you can play with the window strategy. I think theatrical, as a filmmaker, theatrical is still like just like, it's just such an incredible experience. You want your film in the dark, bigger than life with an audience. But it's so it's not cost effective and it's not doing what it used to do in the old days. So you can get that brand awareness on an even grander scale to the audience that actually cares about your movie. And have, you know, the nice thing is you can then take that audience with you to the next movie and do it and grow it and build it. It's funny, I just thought about something that and just it's just because you 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 said it, which is if you, and I, I don't know if you meant this in this way, but if you were to spend, or if you're willing to spend a certain amount of money on a theatrical release, you could spend that same amount of money on your own, uh, for lack of a better word, your own PA to drive your own audience to your own shelf space. Yeah, and then you own them. Yeah, like you have you have them directly, as opposed to you do all the, spend all this money, you put all this energy into doing a theatrical, and you have no idea who saw your movie. Is that is is that something that you're seeing people do more and more uh, in terms of there are people actually able to are, are you are you seeing tangible tangible results in people growing and owning uh, I, I use that the word own in terms of owned audience not own as I own my audience but an owned audience uh, yeah are you are you seeing tangible results in that from from filmmakers yeah yeah big time really? yes. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that's the wave of the future. You know, for us, I mean, I look at IndieFlix as kind of like my movie, and I'm constantly figuring out ways to raise the profile of our own brand. And the, so, the, you know, the, the films all benefit. And I have the same challenge that a filmmaker has as far as how do you get your content out there? How do you get someone to care about what you're, you know, what you're doing and your story? What I love is, um, like with Finding Kind, which is the girl bullying movie that we worked with, it started off as an experiment, playing it in schools and churches and communities. It now plays every single day somewhere in America to anywhere from 25 to 600 or 1,000 students every single day. We get testimonials, vines, Instagrams, letters, how we've affected and changed a community. And then, you know, the kids age out and new kids come in. They want to screen it again and they like doing it. You know, they like screening it. In, um, you know, we screen in alternative places. I do screenings at Starbucks down the street from us. We pack in 200 people and we watch short films and then we talk about them and we vote for best picture. Or, well, you know, we've, I've played 
I rented the Jumbotron in Times Square and we watched four short films and people listened with their cell phones and then voted. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You rented the Jumbotron in Times Square? Uh-huh. That's awesome. You mean, can anybody rent the Jumbotron in Times Square? Uh-huh. Yep. All right. How much does it cost to rent the Jumbo time, the Jumbo screen in Times Square? I mean, that's just like, I just want to know. Or maybe 10000 an hour. 10000 an hour. Man. Okay. So for all you people looking to propose, you know, in Times Square, there you have it. <laughs> Buy a oh, ring. Oh, yeah, I wish, buy, my, buy I wish my partner happy yeah. birthday. I got a, we got a New York Times feature out of it. I mean, it's just my whole thing is I'm constantly experimenting on two things, and that's how do we get the content to the people because they're not coming in droves to us, so we need to get it to them, and then we just need to monetize it. Well, you, you, what you are is, is in many ways you're not one film. You're, you're, you're thousands of films, but as you we mentioned, you are you, you an are, army. But you have the exact same challenges as how do you get the eyeballs yeah. to to your screen? But you've yeah. been at this since. I mean, first of all, I I I love the IndieFlex model. I just I, I think it's, it's just yeah. worth saying. I think and your commitment to it. For now, it's been nine years since you started this. Yeah, uh, we launched October twenty third, two thousand five, with thirty six titles delivered on DVD. Unbelievable. So, what were the challenges? What have been the challenges to date in growing IndieFlex and now, given where you are with all the competition that you have, what are the what are the challenges moving forward? Well, it's sort of interesting. Um, I learn so much every day. I feel like I live a week in every twenty four hour period. Um, my kids call IndieFlix the third, you know, special needs child in our family that takes and consumes all of mom's time and energy. Um, I think in the beginning, people just laughed at me. Uh, in LA, when I tried to raise money for IndieFlix and pitched the model, they were like, non-exclusive, 70% to the filmmaker, you're going to be transparent, and you're going to build a library and a sustainable business this way? Good luck. And they literally like laughed at me and couldn't get me out the door fast enough. Well, yeah, 2005, so up, 2005, that absolutely would have been the climate, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. just, I, I, no one took me seriously. So I ended up, you know, I got divorced, my dad died, I moved to Seattle, and of course started a startup. And now I hear I was a single mom doing everything myself and, and a, to, a startup to boot working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. And I just was, I think it was that triple play, you know, this insanity. And I was just passionate and mission-based oriented and wasn't going to deviate. I was so, the more people who said no to me, the more conviction I had because I felt like I'm not crazy. I mean, there is no way that filmmakers on the whole, are making a sustainable living. Forget paying, you know, how about just paying back investors? Or forget paying back investors. How about just eating? Like, this is wrong. We are the storytellers. There should be a little compensation. So it was interesting to go through that. And there were these stages where I actually remember, you know, you start off on one journey and you get something else completely. But I thought, oh, it'll be no problem getting filmmakers to sign on because their films are just sitting there, right? Hollywood... Picks up on a good year, 600 films out of 50,000 made every year around the world. So I thought, oh, there's plenty of content. Well, talking to like literally thousands of filmmakers around the world who I'd met here, there, and everywhere and in groups, I couldn't get anyone to give me their film. Um, they wanted, they were so conditioned and programmed for a licensing fee or a minimum guarantee, or they'd rather not have anyone see it. They'd rather make a hundred dollars and nothing more ever again and have someone own their rights for 20 years than to put it up there and just see what happens. They were all worried about piracy when there's no one in their film and it's three years old. I thought piracy would be a compliment, you know, that someone actually cares enough to rip your film off. So there was this 
you know, dealing with the filmmaker mentality, it was kind of like uh, being in an abusive relationship and suddenly someone good comes along. You just think, oh, it's too good to be true. I'm not even going to go there. Well, it's not too good to be true because we have a bigger row to hoe on our own. We have inundation. We have we are our own gatekeepers. Now we're told to be a brand. We have to raise money. We have to do everything ourselves. It's just like, oh, yeah, oh, and don't forget to tell a good story. Like, make a good movie, too. So, you know, we went through all these different sort of phases. And then filmmakers started coming aboard. And they're like, okay, my film's online. Where's the money? So then that's what I call the entitlement phase. And I said, well, you have to help market it. Well, I'm not a marketing person. That's your job. It's like, no, I'm a filmmaker. I opened up a marketplace where we're all going to come together, cross-collateralize, and get some eyeballs here marketing and talking about independent film. So then we now have moved out of that phase. We've got really smart, savvy, sophisticated filmmakers who have amazing tools now at their disposal for free, like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and um, Seed and Spark and you know ways that you can monetize your film, build an audience, have that passion, take it out. You can do gather and tug and do theatrical on demand and those where you don't hit the threshold to do it in the theater, you then reach out to the rest of the people that signed up and sell them the DVD or get them a subscription to IndieFlix. There's so many incredible ways now that you can really take it out on your own and not die in the process. Um, and now I'm in this phase, which is sort of interesting, where they say, wow, you know, you really are, you have a lot of foresight. Like you really are like a disruptor and a visionary. And so now I'm not laughed at anymore, but it's interesting. I've, I'm one of... I'm very, there are very few women in distribution and in my role. And so like I go to meetings all the time. I'm fundraising right now. And it's so interesting to go into meetings with big studio guys and whatever. And and the first thing they say to me is they look at the model and they say, wow, who helped you with this? It's like, well, time and I've a crack, you know, really great team. Um, No, but I mean, who helped you put this model together? Well, I'm a filmmaker. I've been kind of, it's been evolving and I study it like crazy. I'm a little obsessed. Um, And it's like, they can't believe that I would come up with this on my own. And I think it's because I'm a girl. Really? Well, they wouldn't say it to a guy. It's like when I'm traveling so much, they're like, wow, you're in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Now you're in LA. It's like, who watches your kids? They wouldn't ask that of a man. Right. You know, and it's just, I don't care. I mean, it's fine with me. It's just these subtle little things. It's like, well, so would you be able to come to L.A., you know, and, you know, have an office here? It's like, yeah, I travel all over the world. Are you kidding? Like, you know, it's um, it's just interesting. So that's been a kind of a new one. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, I, I do. I travel all over the world. I get, I'm so grateful to stand on stages and address rooms of a hundred you know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people to talk about what we're doing and to empower filmmakers to to sort of step up so you know i'm looking at the platforms that you're on right right now and we're you know obviously Mm -hmm. we're, we're in this kind of conversation this kind of moving moving forward with the business model conversation you mentioned that you're on roku you're on xbox Mm-hmm. Um, before I ask the question, I really want to ask you: Was it difficult to get onto Roku and Xbox? Was that a really big hurdle for IndieFlix? No, not at all, because we have worldwide rights. They love that. Okay. No, are you kidding? Well, Here's no, the thing, well, though. Well, hold on a sec, because if I mean, to a certain extent, you're a brand that has you know an established uh, you know bundle of product, so you, you can show that. But if there was a new entrant 
to this space. Or if there's another competitor of yours, it may not be so easy to get onto these platforms. So are you, just was it the, the timing of IndieFlix approaching Roku and Xbox? Like you, you were just a, ahead of the curve? Because now if somebody were to approach them, you know, even, I, I mean, obviously the, the, the next the next level up, I suppose, would be like the, the Apple TV. Yeah. You know, I... So, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not skeptical. I believe you when you say it was easy. But I'm also, uh, I'm also wondering, was that just a function of you, you being ahead of the curve? And you were. Um, and, I mean, there's no real... I'm just, it's more just me poking at the, 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 the amazement of it than, than anything else. Because I feel like getting onto these platforms is no easy thing. And the fact that you're there is amazing. Well, I do. I will say it's expensive. Uh, Xbox in particular is extremely expensive. It's 180 page of you know 180 pages of specs that you have to you know meet, uh, and a lot of testing and going through these different stages before you're actually live. But that's not where our audience is, which is really interesting. Uh, we do a lot better on Roku, which was you know practically nothing to put together and put up. Um, I think it's going to get even easier for us, which I'm really grateful for, to be on all devices pre-installed and have that access really simple for the user. I think it's going to be easier for people actually to get up on platforms, which then just makes it harder for all of us apps and uh, companies on all these devices to to stand out and to, to differentiate ourselves. It's, you know, the burning, here's the, the bottom line is make a great movie, right? And then don't even bother to raise a penny until you have some idea of how you're going to market your movie. Because you can now get on every single screen in the universe. But it doesn't mean anyone will watch you or see you or know you're there or that you'll make any money. Unless you have some kind of a strategy, a marketing strategy. That's, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about before, just the whole publicity and making people aware because you're no longer competing against every other film that came out yesterday. You're competing with every film that's available in the history of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if I'm on Netflix, which I am, you know, I've just dived, I've just dived into, you know, a television series, which is now consuming an inordinate amount of my time, but it's, you know, a series that was seven years old. Yeah. Uh, and you're having this great experience on that. You know, it's hard to then go watch. I mean, what, Netflix is 70% TV now? And which also makes perfect sense why we are 60% watch. You know, what, 60% of our viewing, actually it's like 68% of our viewing is, is short films. Um, people don't have the time to sit down and watch a feature and risk that two hours, hoping it's going to be a good movie. Yeah, it's a tough sell. I mean, I, I kind of understand it more, certainly. And I, 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 it's just having, you know, you're you're flipping through. But it's also easier when you're a subscription on demand because demand, there's no... Um, there's there's no commitment necessarily because you don't like something in the first ten seconds you just you, you move over to the next thing so you yeah, don't have to make exactly. I don't really have to commit to anything I can kind of commit to the whole basket so do you do you tangibly feel your competitors do you do you feel like the encroachment of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all these these other SVOD platforms uh, on or impacting your business. No, you know, it's funny. I'm not uh, competing with them. I, it's, and, and it's, we finally got real marketing going in the history of IndieFlix starting in August. 
And, you know, we do surveys and we're constantly reaching out, wanting to learn more about our customers, our users, so that we can make them happy and connect, you know, really connect with them. And one of the things I learned, which I was really shocked, was our original pricing was $6.99 a month. And I had people come up or people respond and, to, and say, you know, that they, they weren't ready to drop their Netflix account and switch. And I thought, wait a minute, we don't want you to do that. Why would you think that? And it was because the price point was so close. So we either needed to go higher or we needed to go lower. And since we're looking for volume, we dropped our price to $5. And we basically have a whole campaign, which is add IndieFlix to the mix. We're a complimentary service. We are not Jackass and Dark Knight and House of Cards. We are foreign films and shorts and features and web series from film festivals around the world. We're student films from AFI and USC and NYU. And we're, you know, we're, we're films that, you know, the Oscar shorts, you know, we're, we're the films that you can't find on Netflix. So by adding IndieFlix and keeping your Netflix account, you now have a more of a holistic library, you know, a whole complete library. And the nice thing is wherever you go in the world, you can watch IndieFlix. Whereas Netflix is territory by territory, so it's kind of rounds out your 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 movie collection and your viewing experience. I know when I travel, I was in Vienna. They don't have Netflix there. They don't have Hulu. I got tired of listening to the BBC. I was tired of trying to immerse myself in Viennese, and I just thought I want to watch some movies. And in my hotel room, and so I got to watch Indieflex. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the CEO of Indieflex gets to watch Indieflex <laughs> in Vienna. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, it's funny. I met with all these filmmakers. I met. I was at this big conference, and I was there. I met with sixty filmmakers from uh, Eastern Europe and and Russia, and, and they were all saying, "So, I signed up for IndieFlix, and it worked." And I said, "Well, of course it did." And they're like, "I signed up in Russia, and here I am in Vienna, and it works." I said, "Yeah." And I had a girl from London who said, "I signed up in London, and and it works everywhere I go." I said, "That's right. You can watch it on your." phone, your tablet, your phablet, your, you can watch it wherever you have an internet connection. It's such a wonderful story. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of stoked to see and watch IndieFlix as it, as it grows as a platform. But what advice would you have for uh, filmmakers either as they're thinking about the production, like, but like, but before they've started actually making their movie when they, you know, when, when maybe at the very inception of of their pre-production or, you know, before they start filming, if they're going to be in the place where they're going to need distribution, what advice would you have for those filmmakers who haven't yet started, but should be thinking about what? I think two things. One is have a blog or a Facebook or something that's dedicated to, and the nice thing, I say a blog because Sometimes you can just start journaling in that blog and you don't always have to make it like the whole world doesn't have to trip over it. Some people are a little uncomfortable sharing their insecurities or vulnerabilities or fears or, you know, times where they're feeling on top of the world. Um, but start documenting your process. It's really nice for especially like for us. We we also look at a filmmaker's uh, social networks and interaction with their audience because we know it's going to just make our job easier promoting what they're doing and them as a storyteller. We also just for God's sakes, find a way to keep your budgets down. The market cannot handle, uh, you know, making money back on a $5 million indie film from a first-time director with nobody in it. It's just, it's just really hard. So keep, 
keep the budget down as low as you can go. And because it, it honestly, it doesn't mean, you know, I remember the days where you didn't tell people your budget because if they knew it was low, they're going to think, oh, it's a piece of crap. Not that way anymore. We have films that are made, you know, I mean, our, our one movie that was, has uh, netted, not gross, but netted over half a million dollars, was made for $30,000. We have another movie made for $4,000, which is coming up on $80,000 in revenue net to them. So it's, I think that keep your budgets down so you can actually make some money and make more movies and show that you have, at the end of the day, if someone says, did you make money on your movie? Yeah, we made back our budget and 10 times that. They're going to be like, you're kidding. Of course, they'll ask how much your budget was, but they're going to see that you have the ability, you're smart, you're efficient, you're able to market and you're able to make money. So then they're going to say, well, now let's make a movie for a little bit more and then make money on that one too. Let's just keep going down that road. But document your story, be transparent, because that is what we have found to help really get eyeballs on movies is to tell the filmmaker's story. There's sometimes we take a movie not because the movie's great, but the story behind it is amazing. You mean the 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 story in terms of the, the social media side, like what the filmmaker's done on the on, well, on, on, like on building their audience is that what you're, what you're referring to or are you building their audience or just why they're why they're making this movie or just some of the times where they felt like oh my god it's never going to happen or we all got arrested because we were shooting in the wrong location or whatever like just all of the the the, the, the journey story. The, the journey right yeah. the, the journey that of in making you so you, you'll vibe on a filmmaker's journey and then you feel that'll connect with an audience or your audience, the audience. For an independent filmmaker, it's crucial. It's just like the reason that, um, I mean, sure, museums have, um, they're, 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 they're huge in our lives because there are so many of us that love art. But what do we love about art the most? We love the experience of, of knowing the story behind a piece of art, right? We want to, yeah. whether it's the painting or the sculpture, whatever it is, it's like, how did it come to be? And and then how does it make us feel? And what kind of conversation does it start? We promote everything through editorial hooks of why you should watch it and how long it's going to take. Because I feel like it's based on I would stand in the grocery store line and look at magazine covers and look at all these different hooks. And it's like I don't normally buy The Atlantic or The Economist, but it had so many incredible hooks on the cover that I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to end up reading the whole thing. Yeah, that's because they and that's because they craft the headline before they write the title. Ellen, we do the same with our film. That's how we promote content. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I I, I think think the the analogy is actually perfect. Well, and it gets people clicking on it. They don't feel like they have to be cinephiles. They don't have to be independent. People, I can't even tell you, like, well, I I like Sundance. I like that one indie. And I said, actually, you like a lot more indies than you even realize, you know, because there's so much crossover now. Indies can do so well that they think it's a Hollywood movie. Like it's Slumdog Millionaire, you know, or... They always use the example of, you know, The Wrestler. I mean, those are indie movies. They just, they they did, they went big. Yeah. All true, true, true that. That's also the social networking piece when you do release your film as far as the tweets and the Facebook posts. A tweet lasts six seconds on on Twitter, right? So you can't just tweet once and expect people to watch it. You need to tweet it multiple times. But you can't keep retweeting the same tweet. So you have to be able to talk about your film in different ways to appeal to different people. So go, you will go back into those logs, those journals, that blog, and you'll be able to pull stuff out. Like, oh, my God, this one scene. Like, we did a little promotion, right? A 30-second promotion called Add Indie Flicks to the Mix. And it was basically 
We got, I got my friends and family and a couple people who work with IndieFlix to come to my house. We cleared the living room. We put up a piece of seamless. We used two IndieFlix filmmakers. And for very little money, we shot for the whole day. Keep your Netflix account and add IndieFlix. And first thing I did was send it to Netflix so that they could see what we were doing. And basically, I sh- we put it up there. And I was kind of quick and lazy. And I just put it up there that, you know, add IndieFlix to the mix, our new promo. Nobody clicked on it. I said, we shot this 30-second promo in my living room with my friends and family. 2,000 people t- clicked on it. Right. They connected with the personal story rather than the, than the, aggr- the more seemingly aggressive, you know, click on me. Exactly. So yeah. even though the Internet, you can't always see someone and feel their energy when you're sitting in front of them, it requires you to be authentic in your voice and what you write. So you have to – sharing your personal story and that vulnerability without being too, you know, too much – um, is is the most powerful that I've seen so far, and that's an, that that's a great place to end. Uh, we're 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 up on time, but if okay. uh, what is uh, the best way for somebody to connect with uh, you know a member of your team at IndieFlex? How how does somebody connect with with IndieFlex? Well, I mean, you know, I'm uh, I I don't know if my email's on the site or not. My name's always so funky spelling; it never works. But you know, for filmmakers, they can go to filmmaker at indieflix dot com. You can also go to info at indieflix dot com, or you can email me Sheila at indieflix dot com, spelled S C I L L A. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time, Jesse. Thank you so much. It helps us to get the word out by having opportunities like this to share with good audience uh, it's just it's just fun talking to people like yourself who are you know clearly passionate and are are kicking ass in the business so uh thank you all right thank you all right here we go bye-bye bye